Everybody said, <clears throat> amen. Now, the book of Genesis is a book of a beginnings. And that's basically what the book means. And in it, we see the creation of the universe, the first marriage, the first birth, the first murder. Cain was the first murderer. And the first death, Abel was the first one to die. The first person, the first two people not to have to die, and that was Enoch and Elijah. So there's two people that didn't have to die. Two people were, were taken out of here without having to die. And I'm looking forward to the time God takes all of us out of here so we don't have to die. You know, I'm looking forward to that new body. I'll tell you, it isn't fun. These old bodies, you know, they're not, well, they, they were designed to last forever before sin entered the world. And sin has destroyed so many lives. And they don't like to call it that. They call it, I made a mistake. It doesn't matter what you call it. There's consequences, isn't there? And we could see it in our world today. Now, we see, also see the first lie and the first sin committed. And men and angels are the only ones that have a choice. We've been given free will. And the angels were given free will. In case you didn't know it, Satan used to be an angel. The elite angel that God created, the most beautiful angel God created. And because of that, he started, he got too much of himself and, and thought he was going to overthrow God. And he convinced one-third of the angels to rebel to. And to me, I mean, I can't understand that. I'm going to talk about that a little later in this uh, series that I'm going to start this morning. So, um, but we have to get right to choice. And they got thrown out of heaven or their first estate or whatever it is. And we have a lot of demons. There's only one Satan, though. Remember that. We have, there's a lot of demons, but there isn't only one Satan. And he isn't everywhere. So, anyway. Um, so I want to start a new series about knowing our enemies. Have you got that song ready to go, honey? Now, this is a song I wrote. And I recorded it. Remember, I'm not the best singer, and I'm even worse now since I had my neck surgery. So, hope you'll... It's got message. Remember, I like music and songs for their message. Ready? Yep. <laughs> it worked. It worked this morning. <clears throat> Put the words up too, honey. We all.
Amen. The song's out there on those CDs that are back there, so if you want to like it and would like a copy, they're back there along with about 20 other songs, I guess. I don't know how many's out there. But anyway, uh, the words are great. I like the message of them. And uh, actually, that's how I started actually preaching in, in churches as, as the main service was through music. So anyway, I'm thankful for that, and I'm thankful for the to be here to be able to preach God's word. Now, we really only have three enemies, just like that song says. Now, I know that we think we have lots of enemies. But the reality is, everything that we call an enemy would be, could be ranked under one of those three sections. And Satan influences people, or demons do, so that's under that heading. If your neighbor is giving you a bad time, it isn't the neighbor, it's the influences of Satan and his cohorts that are causing the problem. So remember, we've got to separate people from the things that they do. If we don't, we can't love them. It's hard, you know, especially in the world today with everything that's going on. They're preaching hate and every chance they get. Hate, 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 hate. They're a racist, they're a racist, there's a racist, they're a homophobe, they're all this stuff. And everyone in here, according to them, is a racist. And I'm going, no, we're not. When I look at a person, I do not see race. I see a person that God died for. And that's what we need to do. We need to separate that from everything and don't see, I don't see color. My mom told me my favorite toy when I was a baby was an African-American doll. Of course, that isn't the word she used because back then there was a different word they used that I don't want to use. But anyway, things have changed, and I'm glad. If, so, if something that people say about a group of people is bad or whatever you want to call it, offensive, there it is, um, then uh, I don't want to use it. But of course, then we got to stay away from that political correctness, too. So it's kind of a, we walk a fine line. But God will help us walk that line. <clears throat> now, Flip Wilson, how many remember Flip, Flip Wilson? Yes, old people. And some of the young people. <clears throat> anyway, he had a television show in the 70s. And he was famous for one thing that everybody remembers. And you can probably tell me what that is. What is it? The devil made me do it. Remember that? Everything he said and they did wrong. Well, it was the devil that made me do it. And that's what we like to think. We blame Satan for all our problems. But he can't make us do anything. Now, he can tempt us, and that's the tool he uses, and he tempts us with things that we are, have a propensity towards <clears throat> because he's been doing this for a lot longer than we've been alive. We, he's been doing it for at least 6,000 years. So long man's been here. <laughs> Probably longer. I don't know the exact calendar date, and I've went through so many things and study it, and the more you study it, the more you get confused. But anyway, I'm not, well, it doesn't matter. Satan can't make us do anything. It's not a sin to be tempted, but it is a sin to yield to the temptation. And remember that God doesn't tempt anyone. If you're being tempted, it isn't God, so don't blame God for it. God, why are you tempting me with this? He's not. God tests us. 
So if we're being tempted with something, God is telling us, you're strong enough and you can resist that temptation. Just give, do it within my strength. Call upon me, let me help you. God has confidence in us. That's why. But he never tempts us, he just tests us. So if you're being test, tempted, it's not God. Okay, but he does test us. And that's, he tests us on things that we already know. Now we know that because when we go to school, we have these tests at the end of things, every section or every class or whatever, finals, when you go to college. And they're tests. And that test has, is reference to stuff that we've learned. And so we go through and we take the test to say, hey, I, I learned this, I learned this, and I learned this. <clears throat> and then we get graded on it. But see, with God, it's pass, fail. And remember, every temptation or every test that God allows us to go through, if we fail, we have to go through it again. Because we've got to get strong enough to resist that. There's only one way an alcoholic becomes a Christian and can resist alcohol is by filling himself up with the presence of the love of God. And then when somebody offers him a drink, and he's, no, don't want one, have no desire for one, because God has the ability to take desire for things away. We have people in this congregation that can testify to that. And he still does that today. Now maybe that isn't your problem. Maybe it's something else. I don't know what it is, and I'm not going to go through those things, but there's things that I have trouble with. And God tests me. <clears throat> and if I fail, i got to go through it again. And I do not want to. So hang in there. Get through it. Let God make you stronger. And then when you get through it, you look back and say, wow, it's amazing what God can do when we let him. But the problem is we do not let him. Now, sin is not bad, but it helps create an environment friendly to more sin. When we sin once, it's easier to sin the next time. That's why I tell people, you know, we may miss a Sunday at church. First time's harder, hard. If you want to miss it again, it becomes easier and easier. Next thing you know, it's been six months since you've been in church. That's why don't miss church, because it becomes easier the next time. Besides that, we miss you when you're not here. We love every person that's here. And we love every person that's not here. You know, if we had every person that calls this church home in this building this morning, it would fill it. We'd have to put out more chairs. Because we have a lot of them. So, pray for them. Pray that they'll, God will bring them back to church. Now, sin is like a cup of poison sitting on the shelf. Now, that, that glass with that poison may look very good. But we aren't going to drink it because it'll kill us. And we're all right as long as it's on the shelf. And that's always going to be on the shelf. There's going to be something on the shelf of our lives that will destroy us. So leave it on the shelf. Satan will point it out once in a while to try and get you to drink it. But it's, as long as it's on the shelf, it can't hurt us. <clears throat> James 4, 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now this is a very interesting scripture. Because, you know, we sit there and we got this all figured out. 
we think, man, if I just do enough good things on, on this side, it'll outweigh the bad things that I've done. And we say, okay, I know bad things are bad, but that isn't the way God works. You cannot do enough good things to get into heaven. And it doesn't matter how many bad things we've done, it won't keep send us to hell unless we let, don't let God into our lives. If God comes into our lives, that other side of the things that we've done, there isn't nothing on that side. So we need to know that the good things don't outweigh the bad. That ain't the way God works. Works won't get us into heaven. You can work, work every day of your life, 24-7, and you won't get, heaven, get into heaven because of it. So this throws a monkey wrench into everything. We've had a hard time enough to realize that there were bad things we do are sin. But now we find out that if we don't do something that's good, that's sin too. And that's hard. Now I know that as, as believers and as people, there are things that you can do that I can't do. Because for me, it would be a sin. What would that be? I don't know. But I know some of the things I could do that would be a sin for you and not for me. So it doesn't matter. So we don't need to worry about it unless the, unless the Bible out and out tells us not to do it and calls it sin. Let God take care of it. If we watch somebody's life and we think that they're doing something wrong and it's a pretty thing and you feel like God is telling you to, to talk to them about it, do it. But don't you dare do it unless God's telling you I remember years ago, our, when, we sent our, when Pastor Smith was our pastor years ago, you know Pastor Smith, because he preached here, and uh, <clears throat> he said that year, when they had the, we just finished our new sanctuary that we had, and there was a lady that came, and her greatest desire was to go, to go to that church and destroy the pastor. And she was a very beautiful woman. And she came to church, and she sat right on the front row, and she's all decked out like you can possibly be decked out to make a woman appealing. Of course, I don't know. I don't like half that stuff anyway. So, you know, you're stuck with the way I look. <laughs> but she'd go sit on the front row and her, with a miniskirt on and no underwear. And she would just sit there trying to tempt Pastor Smith. And he sat there, you know, and, you know, he just ignored it for a couple weeks. And finally, he went and talked to her about it. Of course, he, talked, he always talked to women when his wife was around. That's a lesson to all these ministers. You know, let your wife be your confidential secretary or whatever it is. Because then, then you have a um, confidentiality with what they're telling you. But he talked to her about it, told her, you know, that it's indecent and it's whatever, and he, she talked, he talked to her in a way that it convicted her. And she ended up getting saved. Amen. But if she, would, if she would have walked in there and sat on the front row with that, and Pastor Smith would have got done, hey, lady, this is the way you come to church. You know, you can't come like that. It, it's whatever. She wouldn't have probably found Christ. So some things, you know, we have to learn and pick our battles and those kind of things. And we have to trust God when he's telling us to do something. And if you guess wrong and it doesn't turn out the way you want, then the next time you see him, you go apologize to him. Because God will let you know. He'll convict you 
And we need to start listening to that conviction that God gives us. He convicts us. He doesn't condemn us. Remember that God convicts us, but he doesn't condemn us. So if you're feeling condemned about something, it's not God, because that's one of the other tools that, you, that the Satan uses against us, is condemnation. So don't go there. <clears throat> now the dictionary says, sin is a transgression of a religious or moral law, especially when deliberate. Now there's a lot of times that we sin deliberately. We know we're sinning. And sometimes believers have this idea that I'm going to go ahead and do it and I'll confess later. That's rebellion. And rebellion instantly separates you from God. And you need to get on your knees and repent for that thought in your mind. I meant if you, re- if you act on it. And you say, well, I don't know what I could do because I just couldn't, I was just overwhelmed. Well, you had an option. You cho- made a choice or made a decision. You did it deliberately. And you need to ask God to help you get through there. Find a verse that you can lean on when you're going through tough times. All of us have, can find that verse. If you can't, let us know and we'll find it for you. So we need to realize that. We need to rely on God's word. Now, rarely we speed when we, when we don't know the speed limit. You know, I'm very extra careful when I don't know the speed limit, trying to figure out, have you seen, this, have you seen the speed limit sign anywhere? You turn on a new road that's unfamiliar, and you're sitting there, man, I don't want to speed, you know? <laughs> because that's when you probably get caught, is when you don't know it. <clears throat> and I've had that happen to me. Cop pulled me over, says, do you know what the speed limit is? And I says, no. <laughs> but if you go to a, a driving school or whatever it was, education classes, and you go through those books, it kind of tells you if it's a residential area, it's 25 miles an hour. And if it's a kind of a main road with that thing, it's about usually around 40, 40 miles an hour. And if you have a GPS, it'll tell you what the speed limit is. I like those. And then whatever it is, I still got a little rebellion in me. I say, oh, 40 miles an hour, huh? That means I get to go 45. Because that's kind of a safe zone, isn't it? You go any more than four or five more miles over the speed limit, you're tempting fate. <laughs> or tempt, tempting that cop. <clears throat> but I, very rarely, I, I don't think any, I've ever gotten pulled over going five miles over the speed limit. So I'm not... I'm not Trying to encouraging you to sin, if that's a sin for you. To me, to me, I'm okay with it. <laughs> God hasn't convicted me about that. Uh, it says, obey the laws of the land. And we can't obey all the laws of the land when they go against God, obviously. And some of those things, you think, man, there ain't nothing here. Why in the world do they have a speed limit of 25 miles an hour? There ain't even a house on this road. So, anyway. But that's me. So, anyway, now, today I want to look at the first sin, because that's when it all started, wasn't it? And sometimes we don't like to read that. We like to read, oh, man, all those promises of God, I'm going to heaven, hallelujah. We like to sing those positive songs, and we don't like to read the Old Testament because it's old. I like to read the Old Testament, too. Maybe that's because I'm old. But I've read the whole Bible through I don't know how many times. I can't remember. And it's a good thing to read all of it. Now, there are times I do skip through in Leviticus that it repeats the same offering for each 12 tribes. 
and all those things. I say, oh, that kid, they all 12 tries brought this gift. Okay, and I move on. So that's me, aren't you? But I do kind of, you know, I do read it every year. And there are some books I just soon not go through every year. But I read it anyway. Because you find a gem in those verses sometimes. Man, they're in the book of Leviticus. No, that's Numbers. In Numbers, I think it's 22, we have a donkey talking to Balaam. What? A donkey talking to Balaam? Look it up. Maybe I'll preach on it again. I preached on it a long time ago. Maybe I'll look at it again. So, and I've always said, if God can use a donkey, he can sure use me. Because sometimes a donkey is easier to move than I am. <laughs> but anyway, <clears throat> so, uh, Genesis one twenty eight, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase. The King James Version says multiply in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now this was told them to multiply and increase before they sinned. How do I know that? Look down to the rest of Where's the rest of the verse at? Oh, I'll get down to it later. But anyway, he told them they wanted to rule over the earth. The oceans. I'll get the other part of it later. And yet here we are in a world that we're, we're trying to let the earth rule us. Now that's stupid. God commanded us to take dominion over this stuff. And I say this because as far as the multiplying, the reason I say that is because there are some religions that teach that unless you're going to Thinking about having children, then you're not supposed to have sex. Sex is a sin. And I know we've gotten away from that, but when I grew up, that's what some of the teaching was. I don't know whether that's still there or not. And uh, that, which is kind of, you know, ridiculous, be, you know, to begin with, because they well, he told us to multiply. Now, if we're not trying to multiply, then we're not supposed to do anything. I don't believe that for one minute. Now, God created this process to be enjoyed by men and women. Even if we don't want any more kids. Now, that's why when I see these, the Muslims taking these little girls and mutilating them, making sure that they can't be a part of this process and just become a sex slave, it makes me angry. Because God created something and man is taking it away. And it's taken away from someone that is innocent and has no choice in the matter. You know, there's some things I'd like to do in response to that, but I'll keep that to myself and have to pray about it. So anyway, remember that and get around that teaching because it's there, it's in the Bible. Yeah, I could study it more, but I don't want to get into, get into that because I'll get distracted by that and, and not be able to get through this. And for your information, I split this message in half. I kept adding, adding to it, pretty soon it was five pages, and then whatever. So anyway, I thought, well, can I stop it? So anyway, <clears throat> hopefully I'll stop preaching before you stop listening. But anyway, he called us to rule over the earth, not to be ruled 
by it. We have so many tree huggers and environmentalists out there telling us we need to save the earth. We need to save Mother Earth. Earth is not our mother. It's not our father. God is. Now, God created us out of the earth, but that doesn't mean that that's responsible and we have to worship it. And we got all these stupid things going around, but I have a verse for you. Remember this verse when you talk to somebody like that. In Genesis 8, 22, out of the King James, it says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So I don't care about all these green new deals and them telling us all this garbage about we only got 10 years. Or the earth will be destroyed. Now, if I've only got 10 years, I'm not going to spend it doing a lot of things that I'm doing. I'm going to enjoy my life a little more. Why wouldn't you? If you knew you only had 10 years and you think you could make it on what you got in savings, would you go to work tomorrow? Why bother? I only got 10 years. I'm going to enjoy them. But God doesn't say that. He says that we can't do nothing to stop his plan. And he created the earth, and he's going to protect it. So we need to get over this stuff and start getting God's word back into something. <clears throat> and it's also ridiculous because, well, I'll give you an example. Now, if we have a dime, and you've seen those little kiddie pools that they have, and we threw a dime into a pool of water in that little kiddie pool, that's us. That's the United States and maybe Canada and some others. And then we've got the whole world throwing one billion dimes into that pool, and it overflows. And we're sitting there saying, oh man, we've got to get our dime out of there because the dime is the reason the pool overflowed. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? You know, the, the, our dime is, it has nothing in comparison to what the rest of the world is doing. <clears throat> So we aren't going to affect it, so don't worry about it. And I think we should do what we can. I mean, recycle if we can. We recycle uh, things out there. They have a recycle thing that comes by every other week, and we usually have it full, boxes and stuff that they take. But, uh, so we do what we can. But we have to take care of it, but we don't have to worship it and let it control us. <clears throat> now the Lord God, Genesis 2, 15 and 18, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Now, I don't know how big this garden was, so it don't matter. I think he did that specifically. Otherwise, all of us would be trying to get the same size home that Adam have. Now, Randy's mother had this beautiful garden in her backyard. It was huge. It was layered all the way up, and she spent so much time working in that garden. And it was beautiful! So uh, does that mean everybody's supposed to have that size garden? No. Everybody has to have that size house? No. I think that's why he purposely left it out of there. So whatever size it was, it was big enough for Adam and Eve. <clears throat> and he put him there to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, this is a commandment to Adam. 
And then, then we have verse 18. And it says, The Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, I don't know how long Adam was in the garden. He was in there long enough to name all the animals. So that probably took more than a day. Now, I don't know how many animals there was there. I mean, people can talk all they want, but there was dinosaurs there too, I believe. Because God didn't start creating more animals after after the flood. And before the flood, he created them, and that was it. So anyway, that's another, another story I can get into. And he created work to be enjoyable with only one law to obey. Just one. Here, you have all the stuff over here. Just leave that one thing alone. And he told this to Adam because he wanted Adam to be the head of the family. And it was his responsibility to be the priest of the home. So man... Fathers, God holds you accountable to be the head of your family. Now, I know there's circumstances in this world we live in where we have so many separations of different things because of sin. And divorce is caused from sin. How do I know that? I've been there. I've seen it. And it destroys lives. But it was his responsibility to make sure Eve understood how great that law was and how important it was. Now, have you ever worked a job enough that if you could afford it, you'd do it if you weren't paid? Anybody been there? (laughs) The only job I've ever had is this one. (laughs) I love preaching, and I'm not getting paid for it. That's okay. I don't care. You know, the church doesn't have a lot of money. It costs a lot of money to run this church anyway, but uh, that isn't always the case, and we need to uh, support a pastor because that's God's word, and I can show you that too, but that's another sermon. But he created work to be enjoyable, and they, Adam enjoyed his work. They enjoyed their home. They enjoyed everything, and I don't know how long it was before we have verse chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Oh man, this is where it all gets messed up. Now the serpent was more crafty, in other words, a sneakier deceitful, than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, do you really say, did God really say, you must not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat every fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did did say, you must not eat fruit from this tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desired it, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now here we have 
Eve disobeying the law that God commanded that Adam was supposed to have made sure she understood, and she eats it, and Adam, she gives it to her husband, and he eats it. Now, how in the world, why would Adam do that? You think, man, he's seen all this stuff and that, and he's seen, because I believe that Adam and Eve were covered with a, with a, I don't know, a roar or something, because they were not naked before. God covered them with something, and I believe it was a, a light of some kind or whatever, because they were not naked. How do I know that? Because pretty soon we're going to find out. And so Adam sees Eve, and after she takes that one bite, that's gone. He can see that, her, that whatever her covering was, it was gone at that instant. And he's probably thinking, man, what am I going to do? I can't get another wife anywhere. There's a, this is the only woman in the world. Now, I know that guys sometimes say that about certain girls. Well, that's the only girl in the world for me. <laughs> and it brings him to destruction. But Adam was the only man that could say it. And it'd be true. <laughs> but he's probably thinking, man, how am I supposed to multiply doing any of that trying to multiply if she's not here? You know, I kind of like that part of it. So I don't know what's going on in his mind. I'm just looking, thinking through my mind. If you think think that line through, if you're a man or, or even a woman, you can kind of see that. But anyway, he should have stopped her, and he didn't. And anyway, and he ate. Then, verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord in the garden as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man. He called to the man. Where are you? He answered, I have heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. God already knew that was happened when he called him. He didn't all of a sudden go, Adam, what happened? Adam, where are you, Adam? I'm over here hiding behind my fig tree, my fig leaf. Now, I don't want to wear a fig leaf. I'd rather have the righteousness of Christ covering me, wouldn't you? And that new body, I ain't going to have to worry about that. Because I'm going to have a covering. And I guarantee whatever I, when I get that, I'm going to have the best looking outfit that I've ever had in my life. And I'm going to walk around and I'm going to feel so good. I'm going to run up and down the streets of glory because I'll have all this metal gone. And I won't have any pain anymore. So maybe I'm looking forward to it more than you because I have all this stuff going on that you haven't had. And when God comes and changes me, if he takes us out of here, all that's going to be left is a bunch of metal. And I hope they take that metal in. They can probably get a lot of money for it because titanium's worth a lot. And I got about 10, 12, 10, 12, 10 to 20 pounds of metal in my body. So I told Randy, when you have me cremated, have them take out the metal first so they can sell it. <laughs> They can even take the teeth, gold out of my teeth if they want. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But anyway, in these verses, we have a record of one of the most vivid examples of spin I have ever heard in my life. You want to talk about somebody that spins the Word of God? We have it here. 
And we have a lot of spin going on in the world today. You wonder why we have all this hate and stuff going on? It's called spin. And the commentary over here says, didn't Donald Trump say, I'm going to build a wall because I hate Mexicans? Have you heard that? That's the way they're twisting what he says. But here we have someone twisting God's word. And they succumbed. And the result of this tragedy continues today. Now this severed their relationship with God. All of a sudden they could not come in the presence of God like they did before. They couldn't walk with Christ in the middle of the garden in the cool of the evening anymore. They lost that. We gained a relationship with Christ because of our salvation now in the New Testament because the Holy Spirit dwells in us and he helps us and he guides us and he directs us. And I'm thankful for that. But man, I'd rather have walked in the cool of the evening. Wouldn't you? And if you're sitting there thinking, oh man, if I'd been there, I wouldn't have done it. I guarantee you, you would have. Sooner or later, we're going to succumb to a temptation because they'll find, they'll find something that's a better weakness. I might not have lasted as long as they did because it was in the middle of the garden. There are things that tempt us in the middle of our lives and we have to face it every single day. Now, they probably had to walk by that tree, but they never looked at it before. They started getting tempted here. And all of a sudden, everything changes. Now, Satan wants us to focus on what we can't have or what we don't have instead of what we do have. They had a whole garden to be able to enjoy. And yet they were so selfish, they wanted it all. And that's what we want. We want it all. We're no different than they were. Now, Satan used three steps to trap Eve, and he still uses these steps today. The first step is looking. Now, I know that Cliff preached on this a few weeks ago, but have you ever noticed when you take your car in for service that the service department is right in, that, right in the area where the showroom is? Have you noticed that? And you're waiting for your car to get done. Waiting for the oil to get changed. I mean, maybe you do that yourself, but we're old now. You know, or Randy's getting older, and I'm older than he is, so, you know, just building that garage has about killed him. <laughs> Up there on the roof, hammering, hammering, hammering. But we sit there and we have that like that because when you're bored, they want you to go over there and they want you to look. Because if they can get you to look... All of a sudden, you're starting to want. So we got to be careful when we're looking that we're not buying. <laughs> now, we took our truck in, the 2006 truck in, for its really expensive $600 service. Now, this was a few years ago. And he ended up buying a new truck. So have you heard about the man? that told his wife, honey, you know, I know you want to look beautiful, and I love the way that you look and all these nice clothes you're buying, 
But honey, we need to cut, you need to cut back. We just can't afford it. And so she promised, she's like, well, I don't know, it's so hard. I love, you know, I do it. And he's like, okay, this is what you're going to do. Next time you go in there and you're looking at a dress or something that you think is pretty nice, just say, get thee behind me, Satan. And then you'll be okay. I'll get behind you and then you can, you can deal with it. So she agreed that she would, she would do that. So it wasn't long until she was in there and she was shopping. And she tried on this really beautiful dress. And she went out there and she looked at it. Man, she looked so good in that dress. Man, it just, you know, it just accentuated her figure and, man, everything. And, and she looked so beautiful to herself. But then the words of her husband come into her mind. We can't afford it. And so she said, all right, honey, I'll do it. Get thee behind me, Satan. Well, she went home with a dress. And her husband says, Honey, we just had this conversation. We can't afford this stuff. Didn't you do what I told you to do? And she said, yes. He said, I did. I've had that dress on, and I look so good, and I know that I look beautiful for you. And I want to look beautiful for you, because when we go anywhere, I want you to be proud of me. And he said, well, didn't you say, get thee behind me, Satan? And she said, yes, I did. I did that. What happened then? So he got behind me and he says, you know what? It really looks good from back here too. So I bought it. That's kind of how he works. He sneaks in when you're not looking. Now Satan didn't make Randy buy a new truck. He's been wanting a new truck for a long time. He wanted a four-wheel drive truck. And uh, after so many miles, so many things, he doesn't want a nickel and dime to death. So anyway, it doesn't matter. He bought it, and we love that truck, so he'll have it probably till the day he dies, and our kids will probably be fighting over it. Who gets it? But anyway, now verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the fruit was, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Now Satan got Eve to look what was forbidden, and sin looks attractive when Satan gets through with it. <clears throat> sin always looks appealing because we desire what we can't have, don't we? If it, we can't have it, I want it. I hate being told no. When we're told no, that's all we want. I want that. When we see a tie sign, don't touch, or wet paint, what do we do? We touch it, or, or really fight not to. We see stay off the grass, and we want to walk on it, don't we? Because we hate being told no. We want it all. When our oldest son was little, about six months old, you know, and he pulled himself up on the coffee table. Oh, this was many, just 48 years ago, 49, I don't know. <laughs> Time goes by so fast. And he went, we had stuff on the coffee table, and I was one of the parents who believed that you teach the child not to touch stuff, but something so I don't put stuff up. So he's there at the coffee table, and we're teaching him the word no. Kids don't like that word no. And he was grabbing stuff, and I slapped his hand, and I said, no, you're not supposed to touch that stuff. 
And so he looks at me and he grabs it. And I slap his hand again. And he grabs it tighter. I'm not kidding you. I slapped that hand so much it was, it was red. I mean, they probably hauled me in for child abuse now. And finally, I had to physically take that little kid's hand, open it up and sit it on the, ta- on the coffee table, and then say, no. And parents, if you got a little kid that's doing that stuff, remember, you're bigger than they are. You know, my kids, to a certain degree, think I'm still bigger than they are. When they got too big to spank, I punched them in the mouth. So, oh, man, that's terrible. No, it ain't. <laughs> when Jason was being obstinate, and he was out, he's out there, I don't know whether he left school or what, and uh, he was sitting there, and he, I was standing there in the hall, and I told him, well, you're supposed to go to school. He said, I don't care. I'm going to do it. And whatever, he really smart mouth, and I said, no, you're not. Pow! Like this, his head bounced off the wall. I know child abuse. And um, he said, that didn't hurt. I says, do you want me to hit you again? No. Now, in that time of my life, I was one solid muscle. I could take a 175-pound man down, throw, it on, throw him on the ground, buy a shirt. Because I did it, that's how I know. Anyway, that's another story. I've got a long life of stories. <laughs> so we get trapped into sin because it looks good. Now, drug dealers would never sell a one drug, illegal drug, if it didn't look good, if it didn't sound good. If they showed them the results of, of taking drugs and what happens and where those people end up, they probably couldn't sell it. But they sell it, oh, man, this is going to make you forget all your troubles. This is going to make you feel so good. And, man, you know, the kid's dealing with a problem or the guy, whoever it is, so they take it. And, man, it makes them feel so good, and it makes them forget their problems. So then they want more. And pretty soon they cannot live without it, and their whole lives are destroyed. We see beautiful people on TV. They have a wonderful life. They have new cars. They have beautiful stuff. And man, they have a visa. So we get the message, oh man, if I just had a visa, and if I just had nice car and things, I'd have that life. So they go and they get a visa. They get the cars. But see, their problem is they can't afford it. And I'm not saying... It's wrong to have a visa or nice stuff. But there's consequences involved in doing things. We have to think it through. We have to pray about everything we do. We buy a vehicle, we pray. We ask God, let us know. And Randy always has a hemorrhage every time he buys a new vehicle. He didn't with the truck, though. I think it's the first, no, the last couple he hasn't. But he just, like this is mad, that's a lot of money. You know, he just says, whatever. And move on. Move on, okay. <laughs> yes, honey, I love you. And <clears throat> so anyway, it looks appealing. The second step Satan uses to trap us is getting us to question God. Now, 3-1, Genesis 3-1. Now, the serpent was more 
sneaky and crafty, or whatever the word is, than any wild animal of the Lord God had made, he said to the woman, did God really say, you must not eat of the tree in the middle of the, in the garden? He twisted his word, he spun it. Now Satan's a liar and the father of lies, the Bible tells us, and will always cast doubt upon God, his word, or his character. Oh man, I'm a Bible thumper today. <laughs> but he often disguises temptation because he's deceivious, deceitful, and malicious. But we still have to choose. See, people can quote the Bible, and it sounds good. It sounds like Bible. Has God not said that thee shall not do this? Has God said? Did he, is that what he said? No, I think God said thee shall do it. And because it sounds Bible, we think it's okay. And we get sucked in because we do not know our Bible. We need to know our Bible so we can get out of the messes. How did Jesus resist temptation? By quoting God's word. That's how. And so we need to have it in our lives. Honestly, I'm almost through, I hope. <clears throat> so now Satan wants us to think how good anything that looks, how could anything so good look so good and smell so good be bad? Now it's a very popular song in the 1978 by Barbara Mandel. It's called, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. How many know that song? Most old people do. How many like the song? <laughs> because we don't really pay attention to the words. That's why I work really hard in my songs that I've written to be able to make the message be something there. When I recorded songs and stuff, the one in the recording studio, the, the guy there that worked with me on them, that does my background vocals and stuff that when you hear somebody else on there. He says, you know, your songs are so wordy. You need to get rid of some of them words. And I said, I can't. I'm trying to get a message. That's the main thing. I want the message. So, but if we looked at the message of that song, it was talking about committing adultery. It was talking about loving someone that was married. And you know it's wrong, but it, man, it feels so good. It feels so right. And that's the way sin is. It looks so good, it feels so good, so how can it be wrong? God makes everything good and perfect. So if I think it's good, I think it's perfect, it must be right, right? No. Read God's word. But see, have you ever wondered why you can't remember a phone number, but you can sing a song as soon as that song comes on the radio that you haven't heard for 20 years? And you can sing the whole song. Found that to be true? You know why that is? Because one side of our brain deals with words. And the other side of our brain deals with music. And so when we put the whole the things together, I don't remember the exact words, I used to know the exact words of it. And so when they put it together, it becomes very powerful. That's why we teach our kids songs with music. The ABC song. That's how you taught your kids the ABC. A, B, E, C, D, E, F, G. Jesus died for you and me. H, I, J, K, L, M, N. Jesus died for sin, bull, man. Amen. O, P, Q, R, S, T, U. I believe God's word is true. See, the N, W. God is, what is the rest of it? God is something X, Y, Z for you and me. But anyway, that's how we teach the ABCs. And it works. 
And if that song came on the radio and they were singing it or they had a little kid singing it, I'd be able to sing through the whole thing. Because music is powerful. But we need to stop questioning. When anything starts questioning God or his word or his character, we've got to watch out. Third step, this last step. <laughs> the third step Satan uses to trap us is getting us to make wrong choices. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also well draining for gaining knowledge, she took some and ate it. She also gave it to her husband. Every time we choose wrong, it affects other people. Some way. I'll give you more of that next week. Now, every time we choose something God says no to, we will have a problem. And God calls it sin. Eve was forbidden to do what was fitting to do. She knew better, but did it anyway. And we do the same thing. How many times do we know better, but we do it anyway? God calls that sin. Decision determines direction, and direction determines destiny. I'll repeat that again. Decision determines direction, and direction determines destiny. What we are today is an accumulation of choices we made in the past, right or wrong. Sin is our enemy, and we have other enemies, and we need to be aware of that. Satan is not our friend. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, Lord, and I thank you, Lord, for